next Sunday morning we begin our Advent series, and if you want to get a jump on the reading, we're going to be working through Luke chapter 1, particularly Mary's song, after she discovers the news that she's going to bear the Son of God. And we're going to work our way through that particular song through four weeks, and we're really looking forward to that. And you'll kind of see the schedule posted this week kind of on our social media platforms so that you can be kind of reading along with us while we jump into the Christmas season. I normally don't do this, largely because if we did it every Sunday morning, it would sometimes be like seven or eight different announcements. But um, I do want to congratulate uh, the Goffs, who are now expecting their first. Uh, they kind of made that announcement yesterday. But what I, yeah. what, I, what I particularly found uh, awesome about that announcement is that I get to call Ryan and Kira Graham and Grampy. Um, uh, so join in with me in a few months where they're Grammy and Grampy. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd invite you to turn to 3 John. Uh, it's a super small little letter, and this is our last week uh, kind of working through this three-book series. And to really jump into the dialogue, we're going to focus your attention on this amazing platform called Google Earth. Google Earth is something that was kind of birthed back in 2011, and for someone like my dad, Google Earth is like, you get to travel the world and never leave Albert County. Like, you get to go and see every part of the planet all by dropping this little stick man kind of on a street view, and it shows you whatever you want to do, and my dad gets to see the world and never leave his lazy boy. And if you've never been there, this first slide, this is kind of a picture. If you went to Google Earth, you're going to look at the world, and then you're like, well, where do I want to travel to today? And then if you, if you press the little plus button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you kept pressing it over and over and over and over, it would bring you to this particular view. This is our church. Uh, I don't know when this was taken, but someone's not at work that day uh, by counting the cars that are there. But that's kind of the church parking lot, and you can zoom right in. And then you can take this other little feature, and you can drag and drop this little stick man onto a blue dot or a blue line, and you can literally like walk up the street and look at people's houses and all those types of things. If you've ever seen the Google car driving, it's very curious the things that that vehicle captures on kind of Google Earth. And this is not at all Third John. This is just, I'm 13 at heart, and I'm going to show you some 13-year-olds. So while the car is driving, mapping out all the streets, this is some of the images that they find. Can you imagine driving through a random desert, and this is... I kill myself in this moment. Like, this is a bad movie, and this is a very bizarre scene checkpoint uh, that I think is from the movie The Purge. Um, there's one more slide, uh, the next one. So this is someone who <laughs> is stuck inside a garbage can that Google Earth has captured. And the last one I feel for this, this lady, she falls off a skateboard, and apparently I have a very weird, weird sense of humor. Um, anyway, she falls off a skateboard, and they capture it, and... I think it's funny, you don't. Um, judge me as you, as you will. In some ways, uh, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John is like Google Earth in that 1st John is kind of this like, from 50,000 feet out, John is addressing the churches in the greater Ephesus area. And he's talking about these big macro themes Themes of Jesus' origins and his identity and where is he from and is he really God and he talks about these massive, massive themes. The incarnation where God becomes like one of us. Another significant theme, or theme in the first uh, little book that he writes 
is a conversation about kind of walking in darkness or walking in light. These giant themes that are all through 1 John. 2 John is like you press the little plus button and it zooms in a bit more on those churches and it gets into some very focused congregational dynamics where last week we had talked about how there are some who are jumping ahead, there's some who are walking away from faith and that there's others, there's a few of them that are walking faithfully in the instruction of the Lord. And then this morning, 3 John is like the street view. Like you drop the little stick person down and you're looking right into the window of a particular congregation. And John begins to address a dynamic that's unfolding and he names names. Like that's how personal this gets. And I want you to think of like, how would this read if, like, say, like David Reed, the chair of our elders board, got up and read a letter like this, and your name is in the letter in a good way, and then another name in a very, very bad way. So kind of Google Earth, like these giant, massive themes from 50,000 feet out, and then it's a refocus of about 10,000, looking at a congregational dynamic, and then now it's Street View in 3 John, where John is addressing a person and in doing so, he's just name-dropping all through it, and it's talking about different dynamics. What I'd like to do this morning, if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to read the entirety of 3 John, and you're like, what? I'm like, it's 12 verses. It's not, it's not long. It's not Isaiah. Uh, we are going to read these few verses together, uh, just so you can see this kind of street view, up close and personal, this little letter that John writes. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. Even as your soul is getting along well, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for your brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even in the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much more to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. It's curious how letterish that sounds. It's like a friend writing something meaningful to another friend about a very real dynamic that is about his life and the life of other people in the very church that he is connected to. In this third letter of John, there are three names that are dropped. Gaius, Detrophus, and another gentleman by the name of Demetrius. There's a quick CV in this little letter about all three of them. 
and I want to quickly highlight them for you here this morning. For Gaius, he is described as a person who is loved in truth. He is prayed for. He's prayed that he remains in good health, prayed that things go well for him. His love has been tested. He is faithful to the truth. Great joy is brought to John to hear that Gaius is walking in truth. He is known for his hospitality to the preachers that John is sending. He takes them in and he cares for them. And the, the last line is, he's told not to be like Diotrephus. Diotrephus, this is awesome, he loves to be first. He does not welcome John nor the ministers or missionaries that John sends out. He spreads malicious nonsense about John and the others, that's called gossip. He refuses to welcome the other believers. He stops those who do welcome these other believers and kicks them out of the church. And then there's this third gentleman, Demetrius. He is known. He is loved. He is on the way to where Gaius is, and he's instructed to show him some hospitality. For our time together this morning, I want to focus in on just two people, Gaius and Detrophus, because these are the two that we really learn a lot about, which is going to lead to the question that we're going to wrestle through this morning. And the question is on, on the screen, if a letter, a biography, was written about you, because we're street view now, like we're looking into the eyes of other people, what would you want that letter to say? If there is someone named John out there describing or looking at our congregation, and he's writing a letter to me or to our elders board about the people here in this place, what would you want it to say about you? What do you want to be known for? And just by quick review, Gaius, loved in truth, he's prayed for, he's in good health, he has a love that's been tested, he's faithful to the truth, he's a source of great joy to others, and he's well known for his hospitality, so that's what he's known for. And then there's Dutrophus. He loves to be first. He is unwelcoming of others. He likes to talk about others. He tells lies about John and others, and he causes a lot of harm in the body of Christ. So again, I ask this question. If a letter, a biography, was to be written about you, what would you want it to say? I don't, I don't think it's difficult to answer that question. We all, deep inside, want the first list of things to be said of us, that we are welcoming of others, that we don't have a gossiping mouth, that we are kind, that our faith, that our love has been tested and it's proven to be true, versus they're really selfish and they talk about everybody and they don't welcome anybody in their home. Like, I don't know anyone who'd be like, I want that. Like, I don't know anyone who that's their heart. The, the better question, though, this morning is what does one do to become a person like Gaius? What does one do to become this person that John is recognizing in his letter? What are the choices that Gaius is making? What are the books that he's reading? What are the habits that he's practicing? What are the drills or what are the exercises that he is doing when no one else is looking that allows someone from afar to write about him in this particular way? Well, all three of these little letters of John help us unpack the answer behind a person like Gaius, how that would be written of him. And it all begins 
with a simple choice that Gaius has made, and I would go further to say, every follower of Jesus, it begins with this choice. A choice, and this goes back into some of those macro themes of 1 John, a choice where Gaius has believed out of faith that Jesus Christ is in fact God. That he entered the world at that time, it'd be 90 years earlier, but in our frame of reference, some 2,000 years ago. That he, in fact, was killed on a Roman cross, where he was betrayed by closest friends, where he was put on a false trial by the religious establishment of the day, handed over to the Romans, and eventually killed on a cross. Gaius made this decision to make a choice that this is all true. And that whole space of making a choice is a theme that rings through the whole of Scripture. There are several moments in the Old Testament, and there's one particular one that that kind of stands out for me. And it's when Israel is years removed from kind of the promised land moment where they look back, or or the, the Exodus moment when God kind of brings them out of the land, where there were many people who were a part of that and saw that. And now years have gone by, and that memory has faded because that generation is all dead and gone. And there's a moment where Joshua is like addressing the crowd because it's kind of a mess right now, and he's trying to bring everyone into focus again. And he kind of stands before them and says, choose for you this day. Choose for you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Make make no mistake that this begins with a choice that we make around the claims of who Jesus Christ said he was. Jesus himself addresses this conversation of choice even in his own language where he talks about taking up your cross and denying yourself. That's a choice that someone has to make that you're going to hitch your wagon to all the things that he said about himself. And then there's hymns that even capture this, where these classic hymns where I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It begins with a choice in someone's life, in someone's heart, in someone's mind to say, yep, I believe, I'm choosing to believe that you have come from, and that you are God, and that you are here, and that you are all that you say you are. That is a choice. After someone makes this choice, they begin to experience a deep comfort in their life. And it's a curious phrase where I have on the screen this comfort of the resurrection. It is a deep comfort for me, knowing that this particular person, Jesus Christ, This one who claimed to be God was raised from the dead. Here's why it brings me comfort. There have been literally millions of people who have lived, who have said they were God. Lots of them. In my lifetime, I have watched particular individuals convince others that they are in fact God. And it has brought great harm on a whole bunch of people. And the deep comfort that I have about this particular person, Jesus Christ, the one from Nazareth, born some 2,000 years ago, is that unlike every other person who claimed to be God, Jesus actually got up from the grave. He's the only one who makes the claim and continues to live. There's lots of people who make that claim. And I don't know how they do it, but some of them claim that they're God 
and they have these giant thick glasses because they can't even see. It's curious that someone would be so, like, the perfect son of God does not have 20-20 vision, and yet you convince people, and they believe them and leads them into their death, and there's a weird comfort that happens inside my life when I ground my life on a choice about who Jesus is, knowing when I look back, you've been raised from the dead. And there are moments in my life where, it, like, in absolute honesty, when I'm like, is this even real? Like, is this all a weird... And then I always go back to, no, there was a resurrection. There was a resurrection. And all that you say is right and true. All that you say is right and true. Because you claim to be God. And what separates you from other people who said they were God is that you died and that you got up and no one else did. So I will listen to all that you say. And that's a deep comfort in my life a deep comfort in Gaius' life, a deep comfort in many Christians' lives over the years. Some of you would say, but yeah, but how do you know that he was raised from the dead? Well, I do know that history records that there are over 500 people who see him after he's raised from the dead, that he had supper with a lot of them, that he had told jokes and he kind of played pranks and walked through closed doors. Like, there was all kinds of things. And that choice then is birthed into a conversation of faith. That I am believing by faith that all this is true. And that's like a whole lot of choices that I've made in my life based on all kinds of great evidences that there are things that I did not see that happened a thousand years ago, 1,500 years ago, that I know are true. And from the eyewitnesses who were there and saw and had conversations and ate supper, from, from the moment of the resurrection, a new religion is born, so to speak, that this one person somehow magically has convinced almost a third of the world's population since that he is in fact the Son of God. There's lots of things that affirm the choice I have made, but ultimately it boils down to a conversation of faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was and that he was raised from the dead affirming, vouching for, demonstrating that he is in fact right and correct, which separates him from all of the other voices who said that they were in fact God. And here's the third one that plays into Gaius' life. There's a daily submission to what this person, Jesus Christ, has said. Because I've chosen to believe that Jesus Christ is God, because I live in this place of deep comfort knowing the resurrection is real and true, Gaius myself, others, I will submit my whole life to what he says about life itself because I understand that he's God. And the one who has created life knows everything about it. And when he speaks to it, I'll listen. And when you get into the themes that are addressed in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, I believe all that he says about this space of humanity. I believe that what Jesus says about the problem of sin in the world, I believe that's true. Most of what I would watch on the news is an outworking of the very claims that Jesus made about the problem of the, of the human condition. That we are plagued by something deep inside the soul that we cannot fix on our own. I submit all of his, all, I submit my life to all that he said about those conversations of sin and the corruptness in my heart and what is going on in the human 
Gaius showed his love for God by practicing what Jesus spoke to. Another theme that comes out of 1 John, 2 John is this whole theme of like walking in darkness. And because Gaius and myself and a whole bunch of others in this room and down through the ages have made the same choice, find this same comfort, and we submit our lives or are trying daily to submit our lives to his instruction, we get to experience what it's like not to walk in darkness. We get to walk in light. Not perfectly, but we walk in light. And this person is slowly transformed by the living God himself as Gaius takes on the very nature and character of Jesus Christ in his life, unlike Diotrephus, who walks in sin, never really landed on the conversation about who Jesus Christ is, hasn't grounded himself in the comfort of a resurrection, and pays little if not no attention to the things that Jesus said about life and living. It's curious, in this little letter, 14 verses, John highlights two people particularly. One sounds like, or is at least taking on a lot of the things that you would see in Jesus' own life, particularly how he interacts with people. The other one, Dutrophus, sin just continues to rule and reign in his life. I'm going to invite Dana and team back. And as they do, I, I, want to, I want to press on you this morning, church family, in a wonderful way. My suspicion is that you are like me, and if someone's going to write a letter about you or me, we would want that language to sound an awful lot like the language that we would see in this little note about Gaius. If that is the heart in you this morning, it begins with a very simple choice. That Jesus is who he said he is. It begins with this moment of decision for your life. And that choice is quickly followed by this comforting assurance of a resurrection. Our faith, my faith, my life, Gaius' life, is grounded in an event where a person who was dead came back to life again and lived and was present on the earth for weeks after the fact, demonstrating that he is in fact God. Demonstrating that everything I said is true and everything I said is right. And then you could go on and look at all the other things he said about the world that have all unfolded since his life. Again, furthering proof that you are God. And when you come to that place of, of a choice and live in the deep comfort of a resurrection, how could we not submit our life to him every single day? How could we not listen to what he has to say about everything about our lives? That when we're left to our own devices, if we're honest, we struggle through those spaces. How do we handle money and how do we have healthy relationships and how do we seek reconciliation and how do we strive for justice and how do we do all of those things? You step outside of Christ, it is a weird labyrinth that just ends on death upon death. When you align your life with Christ and you submit daily to what he says, your 
your CV grows in wonderful ways where you're known as someone who's kind. And that the words that you say of others is wonderful. That you are hospitable and that you're generous. That you don't hold grudges and that you don't talk about people behind their back. And you are honest and truthful and all of those things. I'll be absolutely honest with you. This submission to Jesus Christ, Gaius would say it, I'm saying it, a host of you would say this, it requires some effort. It requires some effort, which is different than earning. I know that we grew up, or I've grown up in a space where like we don't earn, I know we don't earn our salvation. I know that. All that Jesus did to destroy and defeat the powers of evil, I can't do that. God, out of love, does all of that so that I can't brag about it. But when I make a choice to follow, make no mistake, there is effort required of me to pay attention to what he says, to listen to what he says, to put into practice what he says in my life. I want to read this passage from 2 Peter, and it's beautiful. And I want you to close your eyes because you need to hear these words that Peter writes to another group of churches about similar types of things about choice, comfort, particularly effort as we follow Christ. So just close your eyes and let these words shape your heart this morning. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us. Through these, He has given us every great and precious promise. And here's this line, so that through them, you, so that Philip might participate in the divine nature. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Make every effort to add to your faith. For if you, if Philip, possesses these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your life in Jesus Christ. Make every effort to confirm your calling, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for testimonies like Gaius who made a decision around your son, Jesus Christ. He made a choice. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are God. And I know that we live in a very different place than he did. But regardless of his you know, 90 years earlier, your resurrection, I'm 2,000 years from the resurrection, it still is this deep comforting knowing that you were raised from the dead. I can't go find your grave and your body to this very day because it's just not there. You've been raised from the dead. 
validating, proving, evidence for. You are the Christ. And when we've grounded ourselves in this reality of the resurrection, I will submit my life to you. I will, as you say, I will take up my cross, deny myself, and follow you. I will fix my eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. I will make every effort to add to my faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. I want to be a person for your glory who reflects your goodness in all capacities of my life. May that be our collective prayer this morning. In your name we pray.